Sports Ethos New York Knicks podcast, Andre Gallibur and a devastating injury to Julius Randle at the end of an amazing, not at the end, but during an amazing game, an amazing victory for the New York Knicks. Amazing is probably a little bit strong. It was a huge win. Let's just leave it at that. It's a huge win. Pushing Miami to the rearview mirror. In this last five-game stretch, but with the injury to Julius Randle, now these five games look a little bit, possibly a little bit daunting for the New York Knicks. And I said during the game the Knicks were playing against the Heat that the Knicks could maybe win this game against the Heat without Randle because the Heat have played the Knicks a bunch of times recently and they, they've scouted the Knicks based on how they run their offense and how Randall does what he does and Brunson does what he does. With Randall out, the Knicks are going to play completely differently and that is, is exactly what happened. It was so different that Brunson wasn't even on the floor at the end of the game. And the Heat playing the second half of a back-to-back seemed like they may have run out of gas towards the end of that game. Butler, who was talking all kinds of trash when the Knicks when the Knicks lost in Miami, he only had 12 points in the game. The referees didn't bail him out enough this game. He's an amazing player, but the referees they they they're so quick to blow the whistle. He, he gets calls that other people aren't getting, at least on the Knicks. But well, let's talk about the game first. Manuel quickly comes through again, and I tweeted something in the middle of the game when quickly was looking a little bit shaky because Brunson wasn't playing well. And I was making the point, like when when the offense isn't going well, Brunson all year long has been the cheat code. He has been the guy that other teams cannot stop and can always find his shot. He doesn't always create for other people, but he can always find his shot and get to the free throw line consistently throughout the season. So the doldrums of the Knicks offense is always kind of stymied by Jalen Brunson's effectiveness this year. And Jalen Brunson being banged up, he just he just doesn't look sharp. He he hasn't been quite as sharp, I think, since the foot injury, which is still bothering him. And now he has this hand injury where he has a little brace on the hand, and he's saying he's saying that it's not affecting him, but you can see that he didn't quite have the same control of his dribble in this Miami game that he has had in, in the past. And that's very important to any guard, but especially especially the way he plays with his herky-jerky movements. You cannot tell me, if you ever dribbled a basketball, you cannot tell me that that little brace that kind of spans the palm of the hand into the thumb does not affect the game, affect how you dribble the ball a little bit. Of course it does. He was not sharp in the game. He did not look great. He was He was a little too aggressive for someone who was not sharp. I always hate that. Now, I understand that guys have to kind of play themselves back into rhythm, but when you're not sharp and you dominate the ball and, you know, you put up some bad shots and make bad plays after bad plays, it really kind of, it's kind of a downer to the team. You got to, you know, you kind of have to check yourself and say, okay, let me take a step back and or at least make sure that my shots are, are clean and I'm not forcing anything. And he seemed to be forcing a little bit, and he wasn't really effective. And that was the wrong team to do it against because Miami had kind of resigned itself to the fact that they were going to blitz and double-team Brunson every time he came off screens, getting the ball out of his hands. 
Brunson was kind of forcing it. He tried to force it on Bam a couple of times. He actually got Bam a couple of times, but that's just not that's just not what the Knicks need if you're not going to be sharp. You probably should focus on distributing the ball at that point. And what I was, the point I was going to make about quickly is with Brunson not playing well, quickly came in the game. He wasn't for a couple of minutes. It didn't look like quickly was going to have one of those games where he was going to create offense. You know, I made this point in previous shows and quickly is making me out to be a liar. But it's not so much he's making me out to be a liar. He's actually getting better. He gets better and better and better. And that's a credit to him. But quickly is more his default has been to be more of an opportunistic scorer as opposed to a guy who can create, create, create for himself and others. And in this game, he created for himself and others so well. Weak side corner pass is something. If you've been listening to the show, you know I've been talking about that from the beginning of the season, how Nick Guards are not good at making that weak side corner pass. He made it in this game. He made another pass where he was stuck in the corner, and it was a slick little pass, bounce pass in the lane to Hartenstein. There was another pass to Hartenstein when he had this a small little window in the paint to get the ball to Hartenstein. He got it. These are passes that he has not made, and these are passes that other Nick Guards have not made. When they've gotten themselves when they draw two defenders and that's always a problem is when that's the problem that Randall has the problem that RJ has sometimes when when you draw two defenders you have to find a way to create offense make the right pass and the Knicks sometimes struggle with that they get trapped with those two defenders they don't know how to get the ball to the to the right pass what quickly made every play in this game you give them all the credit in the world and it was very it should be very very soothing as a Nick fan to know that you have quickly there to make up for RJ being terrible, which he was for most of the game last night. For Julius, not, he got hurt in this game, but he wasn't great early. And for Brunson not being sharp, to know you have a guy like quickly who understands where he needs to step up and how he needs to step up in the game. And give Thibodeau credit. This is something that he never does. He stuck with the lineup that was successful at the end of this game. He did not go back to Brunson, which was a shocker. Quentin Grimes was amazing last night. Quentin Grimes played last night the way he should play every night. And I've talked about this before. Sometimes, yes, it's the offense that keeps Quentin Grimes uh, as a wallflower. Sometimes it's his teammates on the floor not moving the ball around. Yes, all of that. But at the end of the day... The offense gives you the freedom to make plays when the ball finds you. And Quentin Grimes is not always, he's not always aggressive enough when the ball finds him. And you've seen with Josh Hart, Josh Hart intuitively understood that, came to this team, and when the ball finds him, he makes plays. He knows how to make plays. He knows when, okay, let me just get the ball to, you know, let me be a facilitator. Let me be a glue guy, and he knows when to, oh, there's less than eight seconds on the shot clock. The ball found me. I don't have a shot. Let me attack the closeout and create something. Like, he knows, he understands that, where his opportunities are. And Quentin, he has to understand that as well. In the last couple of games, he has played ultra-aggressively offensively. He's put that shot up with defenders in the area, no hesitation, taking the ball to the basket, and I think it helps his aggressiveness on defense. I think it helps his aggressiveness in transition. He's much more comfortable on the floor, and I think it translates into other other aspects of the game for him. 
when he's not touching like any I think any player will tell you when they're not touching the ball it, it does affect how they focus on the game it's not one of those things where they start you know scratching their butt and, and daydreaming it's just one of those things where they're not they don't feel in tune to the game and you can see Quentin as quick as he is he's just a little bit quicker a little bit sharper when he's playing with confidence and that's on him that's not that's not really the coaching staff all the time and it can help now but it's not the coaching staff all the time that needs to put players in that position when you're starting the game and and they've shown confidence in you you have to make the best of your opportunities and Thibodeau has shown since he's been here that he will leave you in the game he will give you more minutes if you are playing well and that might be a little too much pressure for a lot of guys but it's fair if somebody behind you is playing better he's going to play but if you're playing well he's going to reward you now we all know Obi Toppin is immune to that (laughs) Obi Toppin doesn't get that benefit which now brings us to Julius Randle and this injury it is incredibly ironic that this man has gone the entire year without getting hurt playing every game, being an Ironman, and then coming down the stretch of the season, moving into the playoffs, this man gets hurt. And the injury now is two weeks until reevaluation. The playoffs start in two weeks. So this is a major blow for the Knicks. The first two weeks, they're in a position to manage the lead that they've built to keep that fifth seed. Like I said, they've kind of put Miami in the rearview mirror a little bit unless they completely fall off the cliff. They have the Cavs tonight. The Cavs game was a potential loss, even if Randall was playing. Like, I'm I'm so sick and tired of people acting like the Cavs are food for the Knicks. They're not food. They're a better team. They've proven that all year long. And they have the best player. We're not getting into the Donovan Mitchell conversation again. The Cavs are rightly favorite. They should be the favorite in a series against the Knicks. They have home court advantage as well. There is no measure that says the Knicks should beat the Cavs. What you're trying to say is the Knicks can beat the Cavs. That's different than saying they should. They are the underdogs against the Cavs. They are a worse team, period. Don't let the media try to put you in a situation where they build this team up so that they can fail. So they can tear them down. And that kind of happened against the Hawks a few years ago. The Hawks were a beatable team. The Knicks were the higher seed. But everyone knew the Hawks were the better team. The Hawks had to go on a run to get to the fifth seed. And they finished in a virtual tie with the Knicks at the 4-5. or Because the Knicks had home court advantage, a lot of people saw them as a favorite in the series. They saw the Hawks as a beatable team. There's a difference between being a beatable, being in a situation where you're playing a beatable team and playing a team that's better than you. It's, it's different. Just because you can win the series doesn't mean they're not better. You shouldn't be the favorites. Just be, there's a little bit of New York and hype bias that works against the Knicks when the Knicks are good. When the Knicks are not so good, there's a lot of hate in the media. But when the Knicks start getting good, it becomes a little bit of a bias. Because the Cavs are flying under the radar. Nobody's talking about the Cavs, but the Cavs have been better than the Knicks. They have maintained a pace that that has a winning pace that has outpaced the Knicks all year long. And the Knicks, the Knicks had a stretch where they caught up to the Cavs. Absolutely. Since the Knicks were at some point, the 10th seed, 
I think in the calendar year of 2023, I think they were the 10th seed for a half a second. So they outpaced the Cavs to catch up, to get within a couple of games of them. But the Cavs have maintained. The Cavs have played well. They are a good team, and they've dealt with a, a handful of injuries. They are a good team. So this game against the Cavs, win or lose, you don't, you're not going to get any analytical value out of this game. I shouldn't say win or lose. If they win, it would be a great win, but I wouldn't call it any analytical value. I don't think it would mean anything going into the playoffs, even if Randall was playing. It's just one game. Cavs could win by 60. The Knicks could win by 60. They've played each other already this year. They've been close games. So this is a big game only in the sense the Knicks need to, they still need to win games to keep the Nets at bay and even the Heat at bay. And without Randall, any game that's winnable is a game they need to pull out. Because nothing is guaranteed at this point. With five games remaining, every team that they're playing is a team that can beat them. Well, let's say the Knicks lose this game tonight. They play the Wizards at the Garden on Sunday. And you know the Wizards. Beal is not going to play. But you know that the Wizards are always looking to beat the Knicks. They see the Knicks as, as a team that they can they can score points on. They play very aggressively offensively, especially KP. You know the history there. He, start, he, he plays hot stretches. He has hot stretches against the Knicks this year. Plays with a lot of confidence. You know the Knicks aren't great with uh, shooting centers. They know exactly how to get shots against the Knicks, and it becomes a make-or-miss game for the Wizards. And the Knicks were able to pull some victories out against the the Wizards, and the Wizards were able to pull a victory out against the Knicks uh, a few months ago. So if Kuzma plays and KP plays... A guess. The Knicks are playing at home. It's a game that they should win, but every Knicks fan should be a little bit nervous, especially if they lose to the Cavs and they play the Wizards on Sunday and they lose that game too. And now you got three games remaining. You play the Pacers twice. Things are going to be a little, little bit tight. They got the Pelicans that are going to look for some get back against the Knicks. Pelicans on the road. The Pelicans are fighting for everything to get their own playoff life together. The Pacers are more than capable of beating the Knicks. I don't, I don't, first of all, let me, let me just put this out here. I don't think there's any team in the league that aren't capable, that's not capable, capable of beating any NBA team, namely the Knicks. The Knicks are not so good that they can just play the Pacers and assume a win. The Wizards just beat Boston by 20 points. So listen to me. None of these games are guaranteed. The Knicks got to actually play to win these games. And I'm concerned, and you should be concerned too, because Jalen Brunson isn't sharp. So that means you putting everything on quickly because you don't know what you're getting out of R.J. Barrett. And everybody else is 100% a variable when it comes to scoring points. Right? You're looking at the best of everyone and saying the Knicks should be good. The best of quickly. The best of Brunson. And that's not always guaranteed. The Knicks are going to have to rely on their defense. Again, this Cavs game, we'll put that aside. But let's just focus on the Wizards. They're going to have to focus on their defense to, to, to get them through these games. Because their offense might be shaky with Brunson not being sharp. And the problem when Brunson's not sharp is that the ball just doesn't move that much when Brunson's in the game and he's not sharp. You're in a situation where now, now the somewhat unfounded criticisms of Brunson from earlier in the year that he was being a ball hog and he wasn't being a point guard and blah, 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 blah. Meanwhile, you have one of the more effective guards in the league with the ball in his hands. Now they come to 
they wear their ugly its ugly head because he won't be as sharp. That means you're hogging the ball and not making good shots and not making good decisions. And you saw that in the Heat game. I, for one, would be concerned if you saw that against the Cavs and you saw that against the Wizards. You see that against the Cavs, you're going to get blown out. You see that against the Wizards, less of a chance to get blown out, but definitely a chance to get beat. Definitely a chance to get beat. So the Knicks 100% need quickly to be the best version of himself. He can't be the one for nine quickly. He can't be the guy just looking for fouls when he goes goes to the basket. All right, he can't be the guy freezing up at the free throw line, missing free throws. He has to be super sharp because the Knicks need him to get through these games because you don't know what you're getting from RJ, unfortunately. And that brings us to the OB topic. And I've seen people say it. It's sink or swim for OB topping at this point. The OB hive... People at the beginning of the season, I mean, a lot of this stuff quieted down as Randall, you know, had uh, what could be argued a third-team All-NBA season. Obi Toppin has not been nearly as sharp this last quarter, last third of the season as he was earlier in the season where he was the second-leading three-point shooting percentage guy on the team. At some point, he was shooting 37% with a hell of a sample size. And I think that was right before he got hurt. 37%. The last five games of the season last year, Obi was lights out. Shooting high field goal percentage. Putting points on the board. And what did he say? He said, without the pressure of if you make a mistake, you come out. It was easier for him to play his game. And a lot of people saw that as kind of like a validation that Tibbs was screwing up OB and blah, 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 blah. Last year, you can make those arguments because Randall was terrible. You couldn't, you can't make those arguments this year because Randall was great. And OB has not been good. OB shooting like 32% from three now after starting the season shooting close to 40. He's been, he's made a lot of goofy plays. He's made a lot of, a lot of, Ball slipping out of his hands, missing dunks, you know, just a lot of bad play. One of those plays where you you look at a guy and you say, you're not really playing with confidence when you see plays like that. You're not playing with confidence, not playing sharp. What can this team count on you to do? In the Miami game, he played almost the whole third quarter. I'm not going to say he played terribly. He didn't didn't distinguish himself for sure. There was definitely a play where he got the ball on the perimeter and he shot a fadeaway three where he had a whole lane to take the ball to the basket. You know, not being able to see the floor and see the next play speaks to the comfort level of a player. It speaks to the ability of a player for sure, but we've seen Obi have stretches where he does see the next play and he, and he can read the floor a little bit better. Not long stretches, but you've seen a little bit of that. So you feel like he has the potential to do it. But if he can't get out of his own way, whether because he's playing nervous because he thinks he's going to get out, get pulled out of the game or whatever the case may be, then that's not then you're not going to be the professional that you think you can be. And I think this is where people struggle. Yes, Obi gets a raw deal sometimes, but when Obi gets an opportunity, Obi has to make the best of it. There are players all across the league. Go look at OKC. They got players who don't even play every night. They got players that get get sat and then come into the game a game later and they have to play 20 minutes and they play their game. 
Obi has to be prepared to do what he does, play his role, and his role has been consistent all year long. Play your role as best you can and be effective, be a star in your role. Same thing with Cam Reddish. This is why I had very little bell for Cam Reddish. Be a star in your role. All of those excuses that the reason why he's not playing his best self because, you know, this, that, and other, I don't care. This is professional basketball. You are being put in the game to do what you're asked to do. You need to do that to the best of your ability. And if you don't, you're going to get pulled. Period. And sure, people can make excuses when it comes from an analytical perspective and say, okay, oh, you would be better if you put him in this situation if you let him play through some mistakes and they should be developing him and blah, 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 blah. Okay, okay, sure, 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 sure. But as a professional basketball player... In his, in his third season, when you're put into the game and you're asked to do X, Y, Z, please do it. Do it. Do it to the best of your ability. There's no reason. There is a reason. But if Obi's as, as functional an NBA player as he should be at this point, there's no reason that Josh Hart can come into this team and be so seamless in his transition into this rotation and into this team framework and be able to make plays that Obi Toppin can't make. And I do believe, as a side note, that Josh Hart has had an effect on Quentin Grimes has been up and down and Obi Toppin in their ability to read the floor or, or the understanding that they have the freedom to read the floor and make plays within the offense. You've seen Obi Toppin try to do it a few more a few, a little bit more often than he had before. He hasn't had as much success. And I've already talked about Quentin Grimes and how he's doing it. And there are some games where you see him do it more than others. In the last couple of games, you've seen him actually see, hopefully pop the top on that, on that lid and, and really unleash his game within the offense. And with no Randall, I guess there's no, there's nothing to stop him, at least in this last game. Against Houston, it's Houston. You know, you don't put too much. Just like you don't put too much into Quickly's forty-point game against Houston, you're not gonna put too much into what Quentin Grimes did against Houston. But in this game against the Heat, him stepping up against a team like the Heat, a defense like the Heat, is very, very eye-opening and encouraging. And I do believe he started to eventually, not right away, but eventually started making reads within the offense that he wasn't really making before. And even though there was an adjustment period when Josh Hart got here for Quentin Grimes, when he was on the floor, after a few games, he started doing some of the things that Josh Hart was doing. When the ball found him, making a couple plays with the ball. And not just, oh, I'm not supposed to have the ball in my hands. Let me just hand it to Julius. Let me just hand it to Brunson. It's been ebbs and flows with that. He we do it for a couple possessions one game, and then you won't see it the next. So hopefully that trend continues. Obi was a slower transition but you still, five or six times, you've seen Obi make reads within the offense, turn the corner and try to drive to the basket. You don't always see success. But just his attempt to do it was encouraging. The fact that he wasn't having success was not not quite one step forward, two steps back, but maybe two steps forward, one step back instead. But now he's, there's, nothing, there's nothing to stop him now. And people are still going to blame Thibodeau if he doesn't play well. That's the problem. 
if he gets pulled, if he gets yanked, I saw it on Twitter uh, during the Miami after the Miami game. People were saying, "How come Obi's not back in the game? He's still being held back by Thibodeau with no excuses." Well, the Knicks won the game. They won a tough game by putting RJ in Hart in the front court. Something that I predicted the Knicks were going to do as soon as I heard Randall wasn't come back in the game. So to see people criticize Thibodeau for doing it was really weird to me. That was the obvious play. The Heat are not a big team. You're going to put the players that you know are your best players, quote-unquote, RJ still trash a lot of nights, but you're going to try to put them on the floor and not just force-feed the backup power forward because he's the backup power forward. Now, if RJ was not making plays and he started to make plays in the fourth quarter, unlike what he was doing most of the game, and again, Obi played most of the third quarter, so he got a lot of opportunity in that third quarter. If RJ didn't start making some plays down that stretch, I think you might have seen Obi come back in the game. But Obi has every opportunity to distinguish himself in these next five games. He it's it's really it's really poop will get up the pot for him right now. I don't want to curse. It's it's really that right now. Ish or get off the pot. This is your opportunity to help save the season for the Knicks because in a disastrous situation, the Knicks could fall, still fall, not just to the sixth seed, but to the seventh seed. There is a scenario where the Knicks can still fall all the way back out and out into the play-in because they don't win any of these games. Not a reasonable expectation right now, but... None of these teams are walkovers. And the Pacers and Knicks have like a quiet little rivalry there, especially with that whole Halliburton thing. The Knicks have had some nice, impressive victories against the Pacers, if you can get away with making that statement. The Pacers can be a pain-in-the-butt team. But until I see Brunson get back to his his former self, his pre-injury self, I am not confident in anything these dicks do on the court because I'm already counting one loss tonight with the Cavs with four games left. The Pelicans on the road, that's another loss. So that's two games right there. That's three winnable games the Knicks have to win. They got to. I'm going to say the Knicks got to go two and three in this stretch. And they can maybe hold off the Nets. And maybe hold them off. Two and three. Two and three probably holds off the heat. The Nets gets a little little shaky with the Nets. But I think they got to do that, and there's no guarantee. But it all starts tonight with the Cavs. I'm going to watch the game, obviously, for the show. It could be a bloodbath. It really could. But don't overreact to it. Let's, you know what, Let let me also make a little side note. The way the fans encouraged Randall when he was injured with the relationship that he has with the fans, even recently with him acting like a a dingleberry, that was very moving for me because I know, I don't know if most people have noticed it, quickly has got an MVP chance when he's at the free throw line. Obi gets chance and he's been trashed for a lot of the year. Only a handful of times you've heard some whispers of MVP for Randall all year long, and he's been right there with Brunson as one of the best players on the team. Him getting the MVP chance while he was sitting there trying to walk off that ankle injury, I know it had to be moving for him to know that the fans 
appreciated him and his effort and the fact that he has not missed a game all year and for a guy of his caliber that is unheard of right now. And I hope I hope he remembers that when he's about to lose his, his mind during some of these games. It looked like he had a better attitude in that Miami game, even though he wasn't playing well. I hope he gets better. But two weeks with a reevaluation, like that's not a good sign. This is not. And although the Knicks can win, in best case scenario, Obi Toppin turns into April 2022, Obi Toppin. And is knocking down shots and creating plays. And you're not going to see the runouts the same way. The reason why you don't see the runouts with Obi Toppin the way you have for most of his career is because he's been asked to rebound. Because that's how that works. <laughs> right? You have to rebound. You can't just run out every single time. And you've seen that with Obi Toppin after like the first quarter of the season when he was getting a lot of runouts. And I think that helps him. It helps a lot of players get open dunks and layups, gets the crowd going. But he's been asked to rebound, so he can't run out quite as much. And again, I think that hurts his game. But listen, I don't care if it hurts your game. You have to be a professional. You have to you have to find ways to play your game in spite of setbacks. You have to. That's just part of the game. You don't these are not really excuses for you to to not play well. You have to overcome it. And I think there's going to be a lot of expectation on him in his Cavs game. I think this Cavs, I think the Cavs are a little too good for Obi Toppin to just get off unless he gets hot from three. He's not going to just get off on the Cavs. But if he can just get himself started finding a rhythm with the units he's playing with, I hope to God that Jericho Sims is not the backup power forward. I don't think the Knicks are in the right place for Jericho Sims to be the backup power forward right now. I think the Knicks are better off now that Josh Hart is on the team, playing R.J. Barrett at backup power forward, uh, I think I think the downside there is R.J. Barrett is more of a bullying offensive player, and he's less likely to bully opposing teams power forwards. But so it's going to be matchup dependent. But I don't know if there's enough offense on the floor with Jericho Sims playing backup power forward. I don't know how the Knicks got away with it the way they did. It had had its ups and downs when they were when they were playing him at backup power forward. It has its ups and downs depending on the matchups. They actually lost games. Uh, the Philadelphia game comes to mind where Philadelphia went on a nasty run as soon as they put Jericho Sims at power forward in the second half. Uh, but I think Miles McBride should get the nod and R.J. Barrett should get some of those backup power forward position minutes slash heart first before they go to Jericho. To me, see how that goes. Miles McBride has an incredible effect on the game on both ends of the floor sometimes. If he's struggling too much offensively, if the ball's finding him too much and they're not and they're not getting enough offense and you pull him in, somebody gotta play a little bit more minutes. Okay, but the Knicks also need to manage Brunson's minutes. That they can't have Brunson playing forty minutes right now, not with the injuries he has. So McBride is is a, a good fit right now for the Knicks. He should be first in line before Jericho to get more minutes. Everybody should just move moves down in position a little bit. McBride comes in the game. Hopefully, he makes his defensive plays. He gives them a spark or what have you. Maybe he makes a couple of shots. 
and gives Brunson an opportunity to maybe steal a few more minutes on the bench. And he could be a little bit fresher going into the playoffs if that's the rotation that works. And of course, a team like, I don't think Jared Allen is playing tonight, and that helps the Knicks as well. The Knicks don't have to play with as much size if Jared Allen's not in the game. And if Jared Allen's not in the game, it actually gives a chance, the Knicks a chance to win. Because I think Jared Allen's a bad matchup for the Knicks, even though he hasn't had huge games. He always makes huge baskets. He always gets huge rebounds. He's very effective in the paint. With him and Evan Mobley, the Knicks could sometimes have a hard time scoring in the paint with those two guys in the game. But without Randall, they'll be more perimeter-oriented. But again, the downside of that is what? To make or miss. You don't have nobody who's going to go in there and bang around in the paint and get to the free throw line and get you easy baskets, especially if Brunson is hurt. So this game right now, I'm not very confident in it. The Knicks can take this L, but they get that victory against the Wizards on Sunday. You know, even Stevens with the with three games left, see where the Brooklyn uh, Nets are, see where the Heat are. The Heat have to play Dallas, and Dallas is still trying to play for something. And every Knicks fan here, needs to be rooting for the Dallas Mavericks. Don't fall into the trap of rooting for the Mavericks to lose so that that pick is better. Because the Mavs lose too much and they're going to tank the rest of the season and then that tick, that that pick is going to fall within the, the top 10 and the Knicks won't get it. You want the Mavs to win at this point. Win, win, win. Stay out of the top 10 of the lottery so you get that pick. Root for the Mavs, man. I don't care. Don't sit around caring if it's the 11th, 13th, 14th, or 15th pick. You need to be caring that it's the 10th pick or the 9th pick. Root for the Mavs. Go Mavs. Go Kyrie. I'm watching that game on Saturday. Mavs and Heat with great interest. <laughs> you want the Mavs to beat the Heat to get them off the Knicks' butt? And you want to root against everybody playing Brooklyn. Make sure you check out sportsethos.com at sport, sports ethos on Twitter at ethos Knicks. Until next time. <laughs>